Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here, we are a family that seeks to love others the way Jesus loves us and raise people up in His love. We are grateful to have you listen in. Regardless of who you are, you are always welcome here. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com. Sunday morning. So wonderful to see every single one of you here. Um, we're in the middle of October. Uh, I realize that the weather is dropping day by day. Hopefully, you guys are not cold today. I know it's a little, it's a little nippy outside. Um, but I hope you're staying warm in the midst of this pandemic. Get your flu shots. Get your flu shots. Get your flu shots. I have to get mine. Uh, it's mandatory at Gordon Conwell. There's a flu clinic. CVS moves into Gordon Conwell all day and we all have to get our flu shots because it's mandatory. So get your flu shots. Um, yeah, uh, it's, it's just really wonderful to see everybody. And you know, one thing that doesn't change through all the seasons, through the whole pandemic, even when our nation flips upside down, is this sermon series. So we're just going to continue through this sermon series. Um, we're reading uh, right, we're picking up right where we left off. Uh, we left off Acts 23:11. So we are picking up Acts 23:12 all through Acts 22. Acts 23, 22. So Acts 23, 12 through Acts 23, 22. Acts is after John, before Romans. I'm reading from the ESV, but any translation is fine. Whatever you understand the best, I think is most important. All right. This is the word of the Lord. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who had made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food until we have killed Paul. Now therefore you, along with this council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me and asked me to bring this young man to you as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside, asked him privately, what is it you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink until they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, Tell no one that you have informed me of these things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in praying? 
Uh, but we just come before you this morning. We're so grateful uh, for how much you love your people. So grateful for the ways that you have brought us here to worship you and allowed us to have this time free to be able to listen to what you have for us. Holy Spirit, I just pray for every single person who is listening that you would take us to the next level with you, oh God. Hide me behind your cross that only you are magnified and glorified. Abba, we just want to give you glory. So we just solidify in our hearts a desire to follow you at all costs. We want to give you all glory and all honor. Jesus, you are real. You are sitting on your throne. You have been resurrected in the flesh and you are alive in the body just as we are right now. You are living. And God, we just want to give you glory. So we just thank you for everything that you've done. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we are continuing through our sermon series and we are going over another unexpected man that God uses to show this time not his grace, but his purpose. Today we'll be talking about Paul's nephew. So the sermon title is called Paul's Nephew. And the main idea, for those of us who are taking notes, the main idea is God will show up in unexpected ways. Open your eyes to what he might be doing, even if you don't agree. I'm going to say that one more time. God will show up in unexpected ways. Open your eyes and be willing to what he might be doing, even if you don't agree. So we're just going to go over. Today we're going to be talking about this ambush. Possibly the greatest recorded threat to Paul's life in the New Testament. And we're going to be talking about this unexpected character that comes into play, Paul's nephew, and how that relates to us today. So this this ambush. Now, every good leader throughout history has had threat to life. Um, one of the greatest people that that I love, that I have based that I have looked up to my whole life was also assassinated. Martin Luther King Jr., he was assassinated. Um, many, many presidents, kings, even Julius Caesar was assassinated. And there's something around this, there's something around the power of a leader that can't be stopped, that often leads to a great threat to life. And Paul encounters in this situation as the Jews are contending to kill him and take him away from Roman authorities. We see a great threat to Paul's life. So this story is supposed to be, and it, if you really like break it down and understand it, 
for its context and the way that it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be written to be kind of epic. And really, the tension is actually really high in the narrative. So there's this group of zealots. There's this group of Jews. Uh, theologians aren't able to discern whether or not these 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 this group of Jews are uh, fringe radicals or if they're Sadducees, like actual teachers of the law. It's not really clear as to who they are, but there are about 40 men who go under an oath to not eat or drink until they kill Paul. Now, what's really striking, and Luke could have written, Luke is the author of Acts, Luke could have written 40 men try to kill Paul, but Luke goes into painstaking detail as to what they were planning because Luke wants you to know the extremity of the situation. So there's a group of zealots who want Paul dead so bad wants Paul's head so bad that they make an oath under God to not eat or drink until they have killed Paul. And this oath that Luke describes vividly, it actually invokes the curse of God if they don't carry it out. That they won't eat and they won't drink. To some extent, it sounds really extreme. (coughs) But on another level, it is very... It's a huge risk to life at the same time. They're risking their lives here. They're risking their lives. And there's this determination here, this attempt of life, right? There's this determination that they're going to try to kill his life. And and, and the, the level of that determination is because also they are facing the Roman authorities. So you gotta understand something about the Jewish colony at this time. The Jewish colony was actually under Rome, the Roman Empire. And so this, this determination here and this attempt of life is the most serious situation that they have ever faced. And so they are brought, this, this serious situation is brought to the Sanhedrin as well. So this 40 men, these zealots, these fringe radicals, they go up to the Sanhedrin, the group of leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the people, the head honchos, Congress, right, of this theocracy, and, and they, they implore for support. So first and foremost, they make this oath, right? First and foremost, they make this oath, and then they bring that oath to the Sanhedrin. What do they do? What do they ask of the Sanhedrin in the verses directly following? Read with me. Uh, they co- they ask the Sanhedrin to cooperate in the next verse by asking the tribune to bring Paul in for another examination where they can determine more exactly what has taken place. So basically, they have this plan. They make this oath, these 40 zealots, they make this oath, and then they make this plan, right? So they they try to basically get the teachers of the law in to make sure that to make sure that um that the that the high priests can join in on this plan to kill Paul. And that plan in and of itself is that the high priests are supposed to take the high priests are supposed to take the case to the Roman consul and ask to take Paul in for further questioning. 
So they take Paul in for further questioning, and the goal is that on the way to take Paul in for further questioning, Paul is going to be ambushed on the side of the road. The 40 men are going to jump out of the fray and kill him. So these Jewish leaders, they they try to plot with the head leaders of the land in order to basically fool the Roman government into giving Paul over to them so that they can kill him. It says here, so that they can, they, they are supposed to ask the Roman governor to give Paul to them so that they can determine more exactly what has taken place. And in the original language, you can see that it's a pretense to assassinate him. The word kill here and trying to kill Paul and their plan is to do away with, to destroy. And it implies violence and force. It implies that they're going to force Paul's life away from them, away from him in a way that is unlawful. If you look closely, the first thing we see here in the verse is that the Jews make a plot no specified Jews, and then they go to the chief priests and the elders, and they they implore the chief priests and the elders to play along. There's no mention of how the chief priests responded, but there's this implicit premise that indeed they have agreed. Why is this so bad? It's bad because Congress has basically agreed to break the law. At the very core of the Ten Commandments is do not murder. And so what they are doing here is they are using a very unlawful method to break the law. And at a, on, a, on, a, on a certain level, we see that the priest's involvement in this conspiracy shows that Paul is right. Basically, this government is corrupt. The priest agrees to deception and violates the law he was supposed to defend. And he undercuts a legal process. So there's injustice and potential murder here. But the thing about the the Jewish colony and the Jewish tradition is that it's a theocracy. This government is an authority, is found, this government's authority is founded under God. So there's this whole layer here of it being unjust, and then this whole layer here of it being a sin. And the high priests, the leaders of the land, they are the pastors. They are the head pastors. They are the ones not just running government, but they are the ones running the synagogues. They are the ones giving atonement to everybody. And so what is happening here is the government is going along with a bunch of fringe radicals to try to kill Paul in a way that is not just unlawful, but sinful and contrary to their religion. So it's not just contrary to their law, but it's contrary to their religion. Does this or does this not sound familiar? (laughs) I don't know how else. This sounds quite familiar, all right? Um, I'm not going to... I'm not going to underscore how it sounds familiar, but I'm hoping that you get the hint. Um, yeah, and so what's going on here is 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 really horrifying, um, to say the least. God is invoked in an oath to kill the servant of God. And then the high priest and the elders agree to a conspiracy 
to kill a prisoner. One thing to note is that Paul is not the leader of Jer Jerusalem. He's not the king of Rome. He's a prisoner at this point. But they are so keen on killing him. And we see here the sheer corruption of the leaders that run this colony. What's really, really telling, more so than regular corruption, because yes, I mean, we've seen corrupt governments left and right, people, you know, wielding religion as, as a tool to weaponize individuals to do bad things. And we see that all the time, but the, the real, the real problem with this situation is that God is invoked manipulated and then discarded. These people make an oath under God and then break God's law in order to carry out the oath that they've made under God. And what that tells about these leaders, in particular because they are not just political leaders but religious leaders, is that they are not worshiping God. It's not, it's not God's will and then them as instruments of God, as, as men that have been called by God according to his purpose. But it's their will and their authority and then God is attached to their will. We might be able to point fingers at this and say, oh, they're so bad. Oh my God, the chief priests. But we have all been privy, we have all been privy to that ourselves. Like we've all been in that place. You know what I'm saying? We've all been there. So that's something to consider. It's something to consider that we might not be any different. Now, you might ask, like, Jane Doe, this guy is already in jail. Why do they want to get rid of him so badly? It's because of authority. Basically, it's a power struggle. They can't beat him with arguments or miracles. And not just that, before Paul was Christian, he was a Jew. And not just that, he was a Jew of Jews. And not just that, he was a leader of the Jews of Jews. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And so they want to get rid of him because Paul is a threat to their authority over the people. See, Judaism is a theocracy. And if God is not behind the government, then the government has no power. And so, as long as Paul threatens their religious authority, their political authority, and the sheer power that they have over the people is undermined. They can't deal with that. And that's why they choose this. So yes, there's this clear case of a corrupt government. And here enters in Mr. Nephew. It says the son of his sister catches wind of this. Who is the son of Paul's sister. At this point, when I first read this, I was like, man, I didn't even know Paul had a sister, you know? Because ain't nobody talking about Paul's family. Like, obviously we, I mean, I'm looking at like, I'm looking at like three pairs of siblings right now in this, I'm looking at like more than three pairs of siblings in this, maybe four, maybe five, I can't even tell. Um, so many people, uh, so many people are siblings in this congregation. We know each other's siblings. Like when, when you know Amy, you're gonna know the Jumps, you know? When you know Wesley, you're gonna know the Leeds, right? Um, but obviously in scripture, we don't get to hear about Paul. 
and his family. That's because Paul travels alone. We don't get to actually hear about any of Paul's relatives. We get to hear about Jesus' brothers from time to time, but even then, it's not necessarily mentioned in a religious sense as much as it's mentioned descriptively. So, all of a sudden, Paul's family is invoked, and the son of his sister, aka his nephew, catches wind. That means, number one, his sister's married. Number two, his sister has a son, which means that this sister might be older than him or even younger, but it's clear that she has an established family. The way that the original language talks about this nephew shows that he's either a teenager or he's in his early 20s. So this guy's young, all right? And he's been around for a little bit, which means that his Paul's sister has been married for a long time as well. It's speculated that this is the family and the house that Paul stayed with when he was studying in Jerusalem. Um, And somehow the nephew catches wind of this crazy plot. How? How does the nephew catch wind of the fact that this is going to happen? Most likely his nephew was involved in that circle of people. Um, Some people speculate maybe he's Christian, but there is no... There is enough incentive for the nephew to not want his famous uncle killed outside of Christianity. So it's it's a bit of a jump to say, hey, this guy's Christian. But he's definitely in, within earshot, for sure, of this plot. Especially considering that the plot must have been kept on the DL so that the Roman government and authorities don't find out. Is that surprising? No. That's because Paul was previously the person behind all the genocide towards Christians. You have to remember, before Paul was Christian, he was the one killing Christians. Which means whatever zealous group this is, Paul was probably involved and participated in it at some point. That's probably why they're so gung-ho about killing him. And the nephew was within earshot of that. This also means that Paul's family is in Jerusalem. While Paul is getting captured, while Paul is being denigrated, and while Paul is being, like, just completely shot down to the ground, his family's watching. Now, there are four verbs that describe how this nephew gets involved. This Jewish nephew who's involved in Paul's previous life. He hears of the plot, number one. He goes to the fortress where Paul is in prison. He enters into the barracks to tell Paul, and then he tells Paul what he knows. There are four actions that this nephew has to take in order to save his uncle. Okay, I'm gonna say it one more time. He heard of the plot, he went to the prison, he went into the prison to meet Paul, and he told Paul. Paul was a Roman citizen, so he had a lot of liberties while in prison. It's possible, and it's probable, actually, that they talked in private. And when Paul hears of the plot, he's not really surprised. He tells the centurion, the guard that's watching him, he says, bring this boy to the tribune. Bring this boy to the tribune. Boy goes to the tribune. The tribune kind of condescendingly takes him by the hand and says, what do you need to tell me? And the boy outlines exactly what is happening. 
These men have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they kill you. They're going to try to trick you by telling you they want to examine him further. On the way there, they're going to kill him. This boy is not the main character of this story. The main character of this story is Paul. But as I was exegeting this passage, my eyes went towards this boy. Because this young boy was used as a good instrument of God. Even before this boy fully understood what was right and what was wrong and who God even was. And I think it's really interesting the boldness and the faith of this nephew to try to save Paul. I don't know if you all have had a prisoner as family. It is not easy to watch your family be imprisoned. There is so much hurt, maybe even bitterness, maybe even shame. I'm sure this nephew wasn't going around saying, hey, I'm Paul's nephew. There's no saying whether or not this nephew was close to Paul. There's no mention of even their relationship. Frankly, it seems like to Luke that doesn't even matter. But for whatever reason, this boy, probably within the very circle that was trying to kill Paul, he hears of the plot. He sees how wrong it is, how unlawful it is, and how sinful it is. He takes an honest look at Paul's ministry and decides to break the mold. This boy may not have been Christian, but he did what was right in the eyes of God. He was not down to see his uncle assassinated. He may have been Christian, he may not have been Christian, but one thing's for sure, he wasn't perfect. He was definitely young, definitely less mature, and he may not have lived his life in line with the will of God, but he seizes the opportunity to do right by him. Now, why does Paul... This is one thing that's one thing that's interesting is right. The end of the story is long story short. Paul sends the boy to the to the to the commander. The commander asks the boy to tell him. The boy relays it. The commander says, "Don't don't tell anybody you told me this." And the commander saves Paul's life. One thing that's important to note: Why does Paul send over the boy to the commander without specifying who this boy is? I mean, this boy is his family. But he calls the centurion over and says, this boy has something to tell the commander. Doesn't specify my nephew has something to tell the commander, right? Why does Paul do that? Because Paul was in a very dangerous situation. Romans were still the enemies as well. And so this was a clear double threat to danger. And what that highlights is the courage of the boy to come into enemy lines on a whole nother level. Not just to venture into saving a Christian's life, but to saving a Christian's life within Roman territory to do what was right by God. 
There's no saying that this boy did this out of loyalty to Paul, even. There's no saying that this boy did this because that was right in God's eyes. But for whatever reason, amidst a sea of adults acting corruptly and acting out of line, this boy does what is right by God. How can we apply this boy's life into our own? Sometimes you might have to break from what you've been a part of to obey God. Sometimes all of society will talk and act in a particular way. Everyone around you will act in a particular way. But sometimes you might have to break from what you've been a part of to do what is right by God. One really striking view of that, not to only give political examples, but this is quite a political situation in scripture, is actually Mitt Romney. Have you guys watched um, Mitt Romney vote in the impeachment process for Trump? I, I, I was so struck by that man <laughs> because now I don't like Mitt Romney. I think he's he's I uh, like he ran for president before. Like we've all seen his face before. He seems to be on the deal. He's a Republican, um, and I mean nothing against Republicans. He's just. Not my cup of tea. Um, nothing against the Republican Party. Mitt Romney is just not my cup of tea. Um, but he he weeps. I'll never forget that. Like in the middle of government, the man breaks down to break from his party to vote for impeachment because he believed that that was his rightful duty. Um, it's not easy to do that. And clearly it was a lot, even for him, even though he was in the latter half of his life. And he was given a lot of trouble for that afterwards by his party as well. But he broke from what he's been a part of to obey whatever cause or whatever purpose that he felt that God had ordained him to have. And sometimes you might feel like you have to break from what you've been a part of to obey God. Not that Mitt Romney is the shining example of that. He ain't perfect. But sometimes in order to obey God, you might need to break from things. That's Mitt Romney's life. But in our lives, what could that look like? For me, I'm a pastor. And... Y'all, I know I'm your pastor, but I'm just a regular human, okay? And I like doing what regular humans like to do, okay? I can be vain. I can spend too much money at the shopping mall. I definitely am still a 25-year-old. I've got blood boiling in my veins, okay? Your girl is a really big fan of whiskey, all right? Like, I am still my own full self. I don't, like... I, sometimes I don't understand how, okay, let me not call people out like that, but like sometimes, some pastors are just 
Let me not call people out. I just don't understand. Like, I'm not, just because I became a pastor doesn't mean I stopped becoming Jane. It's not like all of a sudden I'm like, God bless you all. You know, thank you for coming and being a part. I mean, yes, thank you for, I love you guys. But, like, I'm me. You know what I'm saying? And as Jane, there are going to be things that I want to do. Like, as a 25-year-old girl from New York uh, that has lived a rambunctious life, right? I've lived a rambunctious life because, spoiler alert, I am rambunctious, all right? And sometimes I want to do rambunctious things, right? But sometimes, and and, I, and I've grown up in that environment. I mean, New York is one of the, <laughs> New York is the city that never sleeps. In New York, you know, everything, Everything in New York is just on the next level, you know? And and I am just a regular human being. But one of the most important lessons that I'm learning at 25 is the importance of breaking from even the things that I've grown up with to obey God if necessary. Um... Obviously, I'm very keen, as the minister of this congregation, I'm very keen on meeting everybody where they're at and showing up as my full self so that y'all know that Jesus is real and that I'm not paper thin, but that a real God loves real people in the middle of their real problems. Um, I'm really big on that. But at the same time, there comes a point where you might have to break from what you've been a part of to obey God. And what does that take? Holiness? Righteousness, purification, purify. I can't play the guitar like that. Uh, what does it take? No, it takes courage. It takes courage. Bro, to break past your comfort, to obey God. This young boy had no idea what he was doing. He had no idea as to what the heck he was doing. And he's young, which means that he's probably at the bottom of the totem pole in his congregation, in his community. But he decides to take a total break from what is accepted in this, in this congregation to do what he believes is right. And that's not because he's holy. And it's not because he's perfect. It just took a moment of courage. In our day and age, obeying God doesn't just take repentance, although it does take repentance. I'm, I'm not saying not to repent. But in our day and age, especially within this society that makes light of Christianity, Sometimes living a life in relationship with God and aligned to his people takes a lot of courage and boldness. Where are some places in your life right now that you might be afraid of doing what is right by God because of the people around you? What do you do when everyone else around you does the wrong thing? 
I don't know about y'all, but I remember every moment where I conformed. Like, I remember there's this one moment where all my friends, I'll never forget it. Um, there's an, so in Manhattan, one of the main distinctions between Manhattan and Boston is that unlike Boston, Manhattan is number one, big, and <laughs> number two, highly populated. Um, which means that there are a lot of different, like, stores at every block. For example, you will see a Starbucks. I'm, I'm actually not even exaggerating when I say this. You will see a Starbucks every three blocks. I'm not joking. And the blocks are small. Like y'all, like there are, there are avenues and then there are streets. But then every three streets, there will be a Starbucks. Like it's just, it's just one of those realities that everybody accepts in Manhattan. And every single one of those Starbucks, they do well. They have good business. There are that many New Yorkers that drink that many Starbucks, right? And just like that, they're like, a lot of stores in a lot of different blocks. There's a lot of real estate to cover because New York is built up. One of the stores that take up a lot of real estate consistently on the streets of Manhattan is Urban Outfitters. Um, there is legitimately an urban every 20 blocks. Um, on my way back from school, I would walk by five Urban Outfitters. If I really walked, if I walked 100 blocks, I would walk by five Urban Outfitters because there are five Urban Outfitters every 15 blocks down Broadway. Um, and I remember the Urban Outfitter closest to my place, my friends were visiting me uh, and they decided they were like, Jane, Let's shoplift. And I was like, huh? It's like, me? And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, it, it wasn't even like a let's shoplift. It was more like my friend took off a shirt and stuffed it in my bag. And then I looked at her like, what the hell are you doing? And she was like, I have no space. And I remember like, I don't know. I don't know why that's the moment I remember because I've done far worse things than that. But like, I just remember all the different things that went through my head in that moment. Like, what do I say? Do I really do this? Do I really give into this? And I mean, like, spoiler alert, I ended up shoplifting that day. Um, with, with letting, just cause I had, I had a, see, everybody else had like backpacks and that backpack was to the brim with, with books. But me, I had a, I had a long champ. I had the B, you know, long champs that they come in big, like a lot of different sizes. They're basically like canvas bags that are hella expensive for no apparent reason. Um, and I had the biggest size. And so, you know, I had my binder, my laptop, and then nothing else really because why well, carry around too many books? It's unnecessary fashion. So I had a lot of room in my bag, and so I ended up leaving with a lot of Urban Outfitters in my bag that day that I didn't pay for. One trip led to multiple trips, and sooner or later, we all got caught. Um, I think back on that moment a lot, uh, and I thought back on that moment as I, as I went into this application because in that moment, all I did was conform. All I did was play along. It wasn't necessarily something I wanted to do. It wasn't necessarily something that is within my character. Because if you guys know me, there are two things that I, I really suck at doing. I really suck at cheating. I really suck at lying. Um, so it's not really within my character to do anything where I have to lie. Um, because it doesn't work. I wish it, you know, maybe life would have been easy. It just doesn't work. Um, but one trip led to many trips and then it ended up becoming a part of my lifestyle as well. 
all because I, I didn't know how to speak for myself. Now that's a very worldly example of this situation. But if you attach what this boy was doing to that kind of situation, that's just shoplifting. That's just one bad day uh, of breaking the law. But in the case of this boy, he was not just risking, he was not just risking a breaking or an unbreaking of the law. He was risking his religion. He was risking his community. He looked like one of them. He might have talked like one of them. He might have been a confidant because he played along with every single rule. But inside, inside, he wasn't the same. And that boy might as well, he might as well, could have done what was comfortable and played along. But he didn't. He took four, not one crazy action, but four crazy actions. He hears it, he goes to the jail. He goes into the jail to talk to Paul, and then he tells Paul. And then not just that, he goes in front of the Roman commander and tells that Roman commander as well. This young teenage boy. Obeying God takes boldness. But sometimes we need to do that in order to obey. Sometimes we're going to need to show boldness and break from a mold in order to obey God. This is hard. And if you have a hard time doing that right now, I don't blame you. But for those of us who understand the love and the grace of God, we all understand the dilemma inside. And many times we might choose to do what is comfortable, to do what will not get us in trouble, to do what we can to just kind of make it by. But you gotta understand, sometimes to obey God, it takes boldness. Another thing that we can apply is that God is with you. He will put people in your life, young and old, to be able to do what you need to. God is with you. God was with Paul. God had told Paul, literally the verse right before what we read today, is take courage to Paul. Take courage. I will bring you to Rome. And then the very next verse, the Jews plot to kill him with this crazy plot that is probably the most epic assassination attempt at Paul's life that in all of Paul's existence. But who does God use to get Paul out of this funk? The Roman commander? Peter? The church? No, his young teenage Jewish nephew. God being with us means that he will do whatever it takes. He will do whatever it takes. And that there is nothing, nothing that is new or old in your life that is not seen by God. 
There is nothing in your life that is not a co- that is a coincidence. I mean, consider the fact that this is Paul's sister's son. At this point, Paul has been a missionary for years. He hasn't seen his family like that. He hasn't communicated to his family like that. The man is just too busy going all across a freaking continent by foot and by boat in order to share the gospel. He's completely left his prior life behind. And even of all the details in his prior life, all of his friends, all of his community, all of his teachers, all of his repertoire and his resume and every single thing that he's ever done, his nephew is not one of the things he created. Like that is probably the most fringe person. Like his young nephew probably is the least relevant person in Paul's life, in Paul's prior life. And yet this is the boy that God uses. The one thing Paul couldn't even control. Because his sister made that child, not him. And that's the person that God uses to save Paul's life. Paul was the vessel of God. He was the main character in this story. But the main actor, the main agent of this story is the boy. And it's not just this boy's faith. It's not this boy's strength. But it's his courage. Not in the face of adversity. Not even in the face of danger to his own life. But in the face of the status quo. This boy takes a stand. And God honors that stand. by bringing this boy in one fell sweep all the way to the head honcho of the land. If this boy stayed in his comfort, he would just be in his room and Paul would have been dead. But because this boy was courageous, he gets to be the person who single-handedly saves Paul from the greatest threat that Paul has ever encountered. God honors his courage here. We've heard about a lot of unexpected teenagers in Acts, and I love that because unexpected teenagers make my life. As a youth pastor, that's right on my alley, right? And we heard before about Eutychus, a boy who was shown unexpected grace by God, who dropped dead, and yet was showered with grace and new life. But here we see another unexpected boy who's Unexpected courage is greatly honored by God. Not all of us are teenagers. 
most of us are a little maybe around the end of what is expected to be his age early 20s mid 20s some of us are a little bit past that what does it like look like today for you guys to take courage and take a step towards what God has for you Sometimes in order to walk in what God has for you, in order to do what is right by God, not just in holiness and sin and and all of those wonderful things, but in God's purpose and in God's will and in God's plan. Sometimes it takes courage to walk into that. And not just a not just an internal courage to accept Christ into your heart, but an external courage to walk into what God has for you. Where can you take courage and break from a norm to walk in step of the gospel this morning? What have you been conforming in? What sins, what temptations, lifestyles, even a decision not to pursue what God has for your life. What have you been conforming in? What does it look like for you to walk? I want to end with this. Maybe some of y'all are it are at that kind of a crossroads and are trying to take courage to pursue what God has for your life. What is right by God. Maybe some of you guys are at that kind of crossroads this morning. Maybe some of you guys are not. Maybe some of you guys are unaware of the ways that you might conform to this world. And have a hard time stepping forward in faith and feel a block. I don't know where you guys are at. But you guys might ask, Jado, I I want to take courage. I want to trust God. I want to walk in step with the gospel. I I want to be able to go to the next level in intimacy with God. But for whatever reason, I'm not able to give up what's in my hands right now. I'm not willing to give up the way that I live. I'm not willing to give up and and I want to, like my heart wants to, but I don't have the courage to give up my my temptation, to give up my future, to give up my want for success, to give up my desire for people, to give up a toxic relationship, whatever it may be, I am unwilling to give these things up, even though my heart, my heart wants to step out, I am unwilling to give these things up. What do I do? It is not, and I've been echoing this, and this is a very important theme of Acts. It is not the whip of God. It is not the rod of God. It is not the wrath of God. It is not the power of God that moves us to transformation. It is the love of God. It is the relentless pursuit for your heart that leads us to transformation. 
It is that Romans 5.8 love demonstrated in the cross while we were still weak, while we were still ungodly, while we were still enemies with God. That love is what moves us to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. It's not your quest for righteousness. It's not your desire to be holy. It's not your desire to do all the right things. It's the love of God for you right where you are that gives you the courage, the reality, because God is not just power. He's not just might. He's not just just. He's not just scary. God is love. The, you need a, You need to accept that. And yes, not don't throw away everything else. You can't just live life the way you want to and be like, God is love and I love God. Then you're not understanding God for who he is. But at the same time, if you don't understand that the core of your relationship with God is rooted in love and that it is a love of God that has allowed us to have faith that moves mountains, then you'll never get there. So maybe there's an immovable mountain in your life right now. Maybe you're stuck in some level of wilderness, and that wilderness is unrelenting. Maybe you're in the midst, marinated by this world right now. And you want to move, but you feel like you're stuck in quicksand. And you see the faith of this young boy. You see the courage of this young boy to do what is right, to break from the norm, and you're like, man, that sounds great, and you're mad young, and I have no idea how you did that, but I'm stuck in quicksand right now. What'll move your heart is not a challenge, but it's the compassion and the kindness and the love of God that takes us to a place of transformation. What in your life right now is immovable? What in your life right now do you conform to? What in your life right now are you unwilling to let go? Why don't you, why don't we, together, I invite you with me, why don't we lift up what is immovable to God? That doesn't necessarily mean, because you don't necessarily know, like this boy ended up doing what was the will of God. He ended up breaking from his whole community, turning in a very dangerous mission to save Paul's life. And that was what was God's plan for him. That was what it was like to do right. But that's not necessarily what it looks like for every single life. Sometimes it's a heart change. Some of you, it might be vocation. Maybe even a, like a call to ministry. Some of you, it might be a person. Some of you, it might be a habit. Whatever it is, You've got to understand. We are only able to have courage when we have confidence in Christ. 
And the thing that we find confidence in in Christ is his love. Displayed on the cross, on our behalf. So will you with me lift up? Just maybe even, maybe if it's too heavy for you to even lift up, maybe just whatever you're holding on to with fists. What about letting it, opening, just opening up your fist and being open-handed with God? God, I'm unable to break from this, but I want to be willing to follow you because of your love. Whatever it is in your hand that you're holding on to tightly, maybe it's just a matter of opening up those fists and keeping your palms open before God. Maybe it's, for some of you, maybe it's just being open-handed. For some of you, maybe it's cutting something off. Whatever it may be, that's not for me to determine. Genuinely, that's not for me to determine. That's God's. Not even for you to determine. It's God's. But God is never going to push you beyond what you can bear. And God is patient. Our God is patient and he is really, really kind. There's nothing that you can do or say that can take away his love for you. So why don't we just try to be open-handed with God this morning? Sometimes you might have to break from what you've been a part of, what you've been conforming to, what you've been holding on to, to obey God. In that sense, obeying God takes boldness. It takes courage. But we have the confidence to do that because of Christ, who has done the unthinkable with unflinching courage on our behalf. And when we are able to do that, when we are finally able to be bold, watch your life open up like you've never seen it before. Y'all, if I held on to what I was holding on to today, I would not be in front of you. Y'all would not have met me. I would be raking in a hell of a lot of money. But since I have obeyed God in my broken, my broken way, my broken high money way, right? Taking small little steps towards God. I've seen my life open up and be used in ways beyond my wildest imagination. Let's take some steps towards God this morning. Will we pray together? Where in your life you have a hard time breaking from. Where in your life have you had a hard time breaking from? Let's just close our eyes for a second and really consider our life. Maybe some of you guys are not at the point where you can break because you you don't understand the love of God. 
maybe this whole time as I was preaching, you guys were like, what the heck? And then you guys are now at a point where you're like, I don't, I don't know the love of God well enough. Would we open our hearts to receiving God's love? To understanding what, what kind of God this God is that Paul would risk his life? Some of us, maybe we know the love of God. Or maybe we're beginning to know the love of God. But we don't want to let go of what is comfortable to us. What we like. We have a hard time letting go of what we desire. And maybe right now is not the moment. I want to invite you to take a step of courage. But maybe right now you're just not at a point where you really can Would you at least open your fists before God? Whatever you're clenching onto, would you open it before the Lord? And ask God to speak into that situation. I don't know your lives, but God knows every hair. He knows every tear that falls. So what? would you just pray with me to, to let God speak into that? Some of us, maybe we are trying to break from it, but we have a hard time finding courage. And maybe your hearts are like, some of us, our hearts might be like, yes, God, I'm going to break. I'm going to I'm gonna take a step of boldness and be used by you farther in, in a way that's greater than my wildest imagination. Would you allow, before you take a step to move in active faith, Take a moment with me to really internalize the love of God. Because when you move and when you take steps of boldness and courage without the love of God having like really sunk into your heart, you'll burn out so fast. Your heart was not meant for that level of courage. It's God's heart that pours into yours. That is your fuel for stepping into all that he has for your life. Yeah, let's just pray together to take a step in faith, to take a step in courage, to obey God, to walk in what he has for us. Let's pray. From wherever you're listening, we hope you were blessed by this week's message. For more information, check out our website at mbkmc.com.